Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and I'm so glad you're joining me today because it is part two of a special sermon entitled Alone with God. We are with the people of Israel at a place called Gilgal in Joshua chapter 5. And oh, the lessons that there are to be learned from Gilgal. Well, we're in a series called Triumph, and this is part two, Alone with God. If you have never downloaded our free mobile app called Awakened to Grace, then I want to invite you to download our app today. Simply go to your Apple Store or Google Play and download Awakened to Grace for tons of life-changing content. Even though God has promised us the victory, even though God has promised the outcome is going to be victorious for believers, you and I still have to go to war. We still have to put on the armor of God, and you and I still have to fight. We still have to stand. We still have to do spiritual warfare. But see, the difference is we don't fight for victory. As Christians, we fight because of victory. We don't fight to get victory. We fight out of victory. And see, our motivation is different. We know that God will not fail in anything that he has promised. And so we fight out of that. Well, we've worked our way through Joshua 1, 2, 3, and 4. Today we come to Joshua chapter 5. Today we're going to come to a very special place called Gilgal. We're going to be at Gilgal before next week when we go to Jericho, where the walls are going to come down. But there are lessons to be learned in Gilgal, and that's what I want to talk to you for a moment about. I want to entitle today, Alone with God. I want to talk about what happened to Joshua when he got alone with God. But before we get there, let's start in the first of chapter 5. If you are new to our ministry, you may not know that I'm actually a blind pastor. I lost sight about a year and a half ago in both eyes. And so if you don't, if you watch this weekly, you'll notice I don't have a Bible on my podium. It's because I'm unable to see uh, a a Bible or a computer or a screen. Uh, I can't see anything. And so all of the scripture I go through, I try to memorize. So if I miss something today, I ask for your forgiveness. So better yet, I ask, will you follow along with us so you don't miss anything? And I'm just going to kind of walk us through some of chapter 5, and we're going to finish at the end by talking about Joshua being alone with God. But there's something very special that I want us to see before we get there. In the first part of chapter 5, we see that Israel crosses over Jordan just fine. (laughs) If you missed last week, uh, I encourage you to go back and listen, but in case you don't have opportunity, let me just remind you of what an incredible conquest this was of what the Lord did. When the Jordan had overflowed its banks, as it did here at the time of harvest, the Jordan River at this point was up to one mile wide. Now, can you imagine trying to cross a river that is a mile wide? 
not only with your, your little ones, if you had small children at the time, but, you know, each family had their livestock with them. They had their cattle with them. They had their, their tents, and they had all their belongings. And scholars tell us that at this point in Israel's history, they were up to uh, at least a million people, if not two million people. So let's just split the difference and say, could you imagine crossing a river a mile wide with 1.5 million people trying to cross? It would have been impossible. <coughs> we pointed out last week, and we'll point it out again in today's text. They were within eyeshot of Jericho itself. When they cross over the Jordan, they're now in the plains of Jericho. Had they tried to cross slowly, they would have been sitting ducks for the people of Jericho. Where everyone was watching them to see what the Lord was going to do. And what did God do? Well, God did part the waters. Just as God did for their fathers and their mothers at the Red Sea, God is going to do for this new generation here at the Jordan River. And with what the Bible tells us where the waters parted, this water parted a mile wide, and listen, it parted 20 miles long so that between one to two million of God's people could pass through on dry ground. Well, when we come to chapter 5, we see that they made it. The whole nation made it just fine over Jordan. And now they're on this side of Canaan. Now they're in this new place, these, the, this new place where they're going to trust the Lord. And, and notice what verse 5 says. Verse 5 says that when all of the kings of the east and all the kings of the Amorites, the kings of the Canaanites, when they all heard how God had dried up the waters for the Israelites... The Bible says their hearts melted and that they had no spirit within them because of the people of Israel. You know, I, I can't listen to this scripture and, and not realize that when it comes to my life and when it comes to your life, not only is a watching world looking at your life, not only is a lost world watching your life, but listen, this is very important to know. Many of you need to know this. The enemy sees your life. Perhaps some of you have went through a season before where you began to get very serious with God. You got very serious about your faith and you began to grow spiritually like never before. But then all of a sudden came such an attack from the enemy and you thought to yourself, where in the world did this come from? Friends, it's because the enemy sees your life. Some of you right now, your marriage is on the brinks. Right now, your marriage is about to collapse and your family is about to tear. And I'm telling you, Satan knows your life and the enemy, he knows what God wants to do and what you desire. And some of you, some, some husbands and some wives are trying to get close and you're trying to save your marriage. You're trying to save your family. But then it just seems like as you try to get close, obstacles begin to come. Who do you think that is, my friend? That's the enemy because he knows your life. 
And he sees what God is trying to do. And he sees your heart's desire. And he sees that you want to get closer to God. That you want your children to be close to God. That you want your marriage to be rescued. And he'll throw everything he can at you. Because just as the enemies of Israel were watching them, the enemy's watching you. And you say, Chad, then what do I do? I'm going to show you in this text what you do. We're going to follow And we're going to see exactly what Israel did. And I'm going to encourage you to do exactly what the people of God in this this chapter did. That's that's how you and I are to respond. So verse 1, the enemy saw what was going on. They, They knew what was happening with the people of God. Well, let's continue on. It's here that the Lord asked Joshua to do something that to me was... Uh, unthinkable. Now, if you think just in, in, in the natural sense, they've come off of this unbelievable miracle of the Jordan River, its waters being cut off a mile wide and 20 miles long, and all of the nation passed through on dry ground and everyone got through safe. Can you imagine the momentum that the people of God felt? You know how important momentum is. It just would seem to me like God would lead them straight to Jericho. They're already in the plains of Jericho. It just seems to me like you would march straight to Jericho and you would overthrow the city and you would walk in faith. And and why slow down now when the momentum is as strong as it is? See, God don't do things the way we do. His ways are higher than our ways, the Bible says in Isaiah. His thoughts are far above our thoughts. And God asked Joshua to do what to me seems unthinkable. He slows the nation down and he tells Joshua, take flint knives and circumcise every man, including all the warriors. Now think about this. The command of the Lord is to circumcise all the men. Now, the Bible is not going to leave us to wondering. It's going to tell us exactly why. It's because the nation was circumcised coming out of Egypt, but all of those people died in the wilderness. These are the sons and the daughters who were born along the way. This was the generation that was born in the wilderness, and they had never been circumcised. Now, why does God put a premium on? On circumcision in the Old Covenant, it's not the case today in the New Testament. But in the Old Covenant, this was highly important. And not to get way off into the weeds, but just so you have this biblical knowledge of why this mattered then. Circumcision circumcision was a sign of covenant. Israel was the only people group on the earth with a covenant with the living God. And circumcision was an outward sign upon the body to symbolize the inward change, the inward uh, part that God was doing within the heart. It said to the nation that you're to be a pure people, that you are not to be, that you're not to mingle with pagans, you're not to marry into idolatry. You're to be a pure and a holy people. And circumcision set them apart. Now the Bible says in the new covenant, 
Paul says that we are now circumcised in the heart. It's not an issue of the flesh. Of course, we know that the country, the, the, the nation of Israel uh, got sideways on this and they put more trust in the outward aspects of being religious than within the heart. And the Bible is very clear. God looks upon the heart. And so it's not an issue for us today because it's not about the outward. It's about the inward. But in this day, with God's people, it was a sign of covenant. And it was the expectation of the Lord. Now let me show you what Joshua could have very easily said. Joshua could have said, Now Lord, how can I take all of the men of the nation and do this surgical procedure on them that's going to take them a while to heal. Lord, we could be sitting ducks. All of our enemies know we're in the land. All of our enemies know you parted the waters. We're within eyeshot of Jericho. They're watching us now. We're in the plains of Jericho. What if we do this surgical procedure and then we're sitting ducks? Does that make any sense to you? Why would the Lord say, do this at this time? It makes no sense. Well, my friends, this is part of where the Lord wants us to walk by faith and not by sight. It took more faith for Israel to trust the Lord and to do what God commanded than to do what at the moment seemed logical and even sensible. And thank God they obeyed the Lord. God said, make for yourselves flint knives. And the next phrase said, Joshua made flint knives. And they circumcised all the men of Israel. They, and the nation became right with God. And listen what the Bible says. The Bible says at this place that the Lord renamed Gilgal. At the place of Gilgal, it said the reproach of Egypt rolled away. Hallelujah. And think of the ramifications of this. Instead of going to war with just simple momentum, friends, momentum would not have been enough. Not against the mighty walls of Jericho. They didn't need momentum. They needed obedience. They needed holiness. They needed righteousness. They needed God's favor. And because they as a people slowed down, and because they trusted the Lord, and because they were circumcised, as the Lord had commanded, the favor of God was all over them. See, if they had went from Jordan straight to Jericho, yeah, they would have had momentum. See, the reproach of Egypt would have still been on the people. Friends, you and I have to obey the Lord. And there may be times that God tells you to do something, and it may seem absurd to you. It may seem ridiculous to you. But if you know in your heart <clears throat> that that is what God's asking you to do, friends, you would be foolish not to obey the Lord. When I think of <clears throat> when I think of myself, I'm a highly conservative person, highly conservative in every single way. I don't like attention. I don't like things that are uh, sensational. Uh, 
I don't like things that are extreme. And so when I think of this illustration, getting outside my comfort zone, I often think of this story in a church in South Korea, in a very, very large church in South Korea. A lady approached her pastor one day on a Sunday morning. Thousands were going to be at this church. And this woman was very godly and very uh, mature in her faith. She came to her pastor and she said, Pastor, the Lord, I believe, has spoken to me this morning that I am to do cartwheels across the platform. And I don't know what to think about this. Will you pray and see if this is what the Lord wants? Now, I think to myself, if someone came to me and Pastor Bob and Pastor Phil and all of our other pastors and said, you know, if a lady came to us and said, uh, God wants me to do cartwheels across your platform this morning, I, I would have a very, very difficult time agreeing to that. But this lady was so mature in her faith and the pastor knew her well. They began to pray and ask the Lord, is this what you want this morning? And as reluctant as they felt, they sensed the Lord was saying, go for it. And so this woman tucks her shirt in and (coughs) across the platform she goes, turning cartwheels. Can you imagine how absurd that looked on a Sunday morning? How many people would, would even deem it as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? But you know what happened? A cry came out of the balcony. A man ran to the altar and gave himself to the Lord. And after they were talking to him and found out his story, the man had come to church that day and said, God, if you're real and you are truly calling me to yourself, then let someone do cartwheels across this church today. (laughs) Now people could argue and say, well, the Lord wouldn't work that way, whatever. I think the point, at least the point for me is very clear. Am I willing to do things that in the natural seem absurd, but in the realm of faith, it makes perfect sense? How many people judged that woman And even that leadership, that after someone became born again, they're probably not looking at it the same today. God will sometimes do things that seem uncomfortable to us, but he has purpose in it. And I think the greatest purpose is to see, are we willing to step out and trust the Lord and obey him? Joshua was willing And the people were willing to trust the Lord, even though they would have been sitting ducks for the enemy. The Bible says that each man went to his own tent until he had healed. What faith it took to wait on the Lord and to do what God said in that moment that they very easily could have said, God, wait till we conquer Jericho and then we'll do it. No, you have to obey God When God says to obey. The second thing I want to point out to you is that they observed Passover. Now, they're in this new place. They're in this 
They're in this new land. And, 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 you know, we've been following this generation of Israelites since February. And we went with them through the rock that Moses struck rather than speaking to. We, we've been with them through the snakes in the wilderness and all the snake bites that they suffered. And we've been through the pillar of fire and the cloud by day and the, and the trumpets that they made. And now we've crossed over Jordan with them. And here in chapter 5, something very special is going to happen for the nation. When they observe Passover, the manna from heaven is going to cease. It's no longer needed. This whole generation has grown up on nothing but manna. This is the only thing that they've known for their entire lives. And now, for the first time, they're going to eat from the land of Canaan. Have you ever wondered why the Bible calls it a land flowing with milk and honey? First of all, I mean, that sounds highly attractive. It really does. A land flowing with milk and honey. Imagine how attractive that sounded if you had grown up in a quite literal, a desert. If the only thing you had ever tasted, the only thing you had ever known was manna from heaven, this this bread from heaven that the Bible calls angel food, even though I'm sure it was delightful. You eat anything for a long enough time and you get tired of it. (coughs) Imagine what it meant to the people to be in a land flowing with milk and honey. Well, what does that mean? Well, obviously the milk represents the livestock. It represents all of the cattle and all the livestock that was in this land. You You don't have that in a wilderness. And the honey represents... The agriculture, it represents the bees and the pollination and all the vegetation and all the agriculture that was in this land. And so here in chapter 5 is a tremendous, a, a wonderful transition. The reproach of Egypt has now rolled away. The manna has now ceased. And now for the first time they are eating of the land flowing with milk and honey. And they're eating out of the produce of Canaan. What a special thing that was. And now lastly today, I want to share with you what happened with Joshua at the end of this chapter. Joshua finds himself alone. You know, being alone at times can feel like a scary thought. But when you bring the Lord into the equation... It's actually quite a thrilling thing to be alone with the Lord. Perhaps you're watching or listening today, and you've never really taken time where you yourself are alone with God. Friends, there's nothing better you can do. Perhaps you're watching this, and you're being forced to work from home. Or you're watching this, and you're unemployed right now because your job or your restaurant or your place of employment has shut down amid all of this fear of COVID-19. Perhaps right now you're quarantined inside your own home or in a hospital room. Friends, there's no greater time than right now to get alone with God. And I want you to watch what happened to Joshua. Joshua was in the plains of Jericho, and the Bible says that Joshua looked out upon the city of Jericho. And Joshua saw a man with his sword drawn. 
Now, scholars call these times in the Old Testament, these were pre-incarnate moments of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the Lord visiting Abraham as a stranger, as a pilgrim that shared a friendly meal with Abraham and gave him instruction. We see the Lord wrestling with Jacob throughout the night to position him to a place where he will submit himself. We see later in the Old Testament, we see the Lord in the furnace and the fiery flames with the three Hebrew children. And here we see the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, standing before Joshua as Joshua is about to go to war. Well, Joshua doesn't know who this is. And I think it's notable to see his courage in